All rise in the courtroom and to those listening on stream for the dishonorable badger is entering the scene. Apparently doing this as a day job simply was not enough. So let your jaws drop to the floor cause we can't make this stuff up. Welcome back to the legal fun house. We put the fun in dysfunctional. It's crazy in the legal fun house but weirdly educational. But every single one is remarkably true. to law school and is more than qualified to talk about the strangest cases from the strangest people alive and the friend that he brought along barely past eighth grade whose legal experience lies within parking in the fire lane welcome back to the legal fun house we're just as confused as you it's finally time for the legal fun house and without further ado Every single one is remarkably true. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Boozy's Legal Funhouse, episode 23, uh, Georgia Pines and Specific Performance. I am your host, the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister. With me tonight is our co-host, our dedicated legal layman, Alkali Bismuth. Say hello, Alkali. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Thanks for the invite, Boozy. So tonight's case is actually going to be one of the law school favorites. It's one that every attorney learns when they first start learning the law. But before we get into that, there's a few things I have to do. First of all, I need to read off the names of the $5 level and above Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor. So a special thank you to... Dragor, Petrov Neutrino, Tezcat Magic, Jag, Wayland DeRoche, Beaten, Dozer the Trash Panda, Mama T, Uncle Kage, Avalyn Klein, Lisa Lupe, Lupus the Raccoon, Netherlinks, Pandemonium, Hawk, Buddy, Good Boy, CC Otter, Chroma Hydra, David Hunter, Eddie the Weatherfox, Flat Fox, Ghost Goat, Grace Jane Gollinger, Hade Foxen, Ian Delahorn, Jason Knight, Jerry A., John Michael Carden, Julie Esslinger, Jess James, Lack, Mark Whipple, Michael Blocker, Nikolai, Red Fox, Scuba Fox, The Dragon Show, Tiny Voices, and Ziggy. Thank you all so much for your support. If you want to be one of those wonderful people, you can do that over at patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor. Before I do my standard disclaimer, I want to hand things over to Alkali, who has their own shit that they will be promoting to you uh, so that they can, because I get the money from this. Fuck him. The, the money from this is mine. If you want to help Alkali have money, he's about to tell you how you can do that. Sir? The first thing you can do is if you're boozy, you buy your co-host a drink, which you always do. So we're square. We're cool. <laughs> I want to thank... It. Oh, the timer is on again. I don't know why it does that. Oh, yes, I do. I want to have a huge thank you to our patrons over here at thedragonshow.com. By the way, you can support us over on patreon.com backslash thedragonshow.com. 
A huge thank you to Mama T. White Shadow Hair, Auto Fox, Dr. Lark, Sidey the Weather Fox, Erner, Erwolf, Nikolai, Peter the Bear, Ragdust, Status Ferris, Sue Jackson, Uncle Kage, Artennis Lupus, Beaten Buddy, Good Boy, Cosmic, Deadly Kitten, Exendiff, Quicksome, Infinita, Green Drag, Hawk, Feather, Maggie Holt, New Dark Cloud, Pandas, Richter, Sasha Whitefur, Seals, You Can Fly, Silvergatamon, Skyr, Skylar Ringtail, Two Plantains, Lux Furnace, Albert T. Bear, Bassett, Celeste, Claire Coletti. Sorry, Claire, you're brand new, and I've, the name throws me up. I don't know why. Claire Coletti, Flatfax, John Ravetti, Mikhail, Pafor, QM, Slippery Stallion, Stale Rice, Sully, Tom F., Viju, Willie, and Yash. But let's not forget about those strike opposers. Petrov, Neutrino, Coda Masters, Briggs, Buckingham, Dragor, Sue, and Benny, Fluff, Nisbet, Ziggy, Gray Fox, and Big Ben, Tobotter, Tekel, Connie Wolflicks, Fox, Amore, and Beaton. Let's not forget today, right after Boozy's show, we will be showing Dungeons and Dragons one shot that's right we finally recorded it it's all ready to go we will be doing a live screening tonight on the dragon show me and zanny will of course stay in chat and talk before and after the show back to you my friend thank you so much to everyone literally everyone who is listening to this after the live recording on twitch i want to assure you in the future alkali goes at the end of the fucking show um <laughs> You know what? I'm actually very okay with it. I'm trying to get faster. That was, that was the longest. Like, I'm reading mine off nice and slow. And then here you fucking come, man. With like, here, oh, good. This boozy show. Fuck all the, everybody who's listening on Apple Podcasts. Fuck you in particular. I'm going to read off names and promote something that will have been finished long before this episode is released. <laughs> there's 30 people watching it live those are the 30 people i need i need you here's the thing if you are listening later and i hope you are uh we record this live over at twitch.tv slash boozy badger every other monday uh so i don't edit them I, I, I genuinely, like, unless something horrible happens in the middle of a fucking episode, I am too lazy to edit anything between the clap that I use to signify the recording has started and the break of silence to signify the end of the recording. So you get warts and all here, motherfucker. And I have met some people Alkali has slept with. Trust me, that's a lot of warts. Love you too, buddy. A general disclaimer, moving into it, Boozy's Legal Funhouse is a discussion of legal principles, case law, legal news. It is educational, informational, and hopefully entertaining. What it is not is legal advice. I am a lawyer. I am not your lawyer. Because I work for the government, there is no way to make me your lawyer. You can't even give me a retainer. But the way that you hire an attorney is you call them, you make an appointment. You go in, you meet with them, you tell them your issue. They agree to represent you. Money of their choosing changes hands. They hand you a retainer letter, you sign it, and you have retained counsel. If you do ask a question tonight or any other time that we're doing this, please understand no attorney-client privilege uh, attaches. No attorney-client relationship is formed. This is an informational podcast, you dumb motherfucker. Why would you think something that is going out on podcasting services, going out live, would be privileged information? That said, everybody on the same page. Alkali, it is time for this week's three legal news stories. Are you ready? 
was ready from the moment you told your listeners that I'm covered in warts. Go right ahead, buddy. <laughs> so the first story, all these stories are from the ABA Journal, the American Bar Association Journal, by Deborah Kesson Wise. Law schools have been pulling out of the U.S. News and World Report ranking system because of concerns that that system discourages programs from supporting public interest careers. The U.S. News and World Report's ranking system for Alkali, who has a just blank look on his face, just nothing in between those ears at the moment, is the ranking system. Yeah, it's it's the ranking system for law schools. It's every year they release like it used to be like the top 100 law schools, and they did it by a tier structure. Like there were there was the top tier, and then there was the second tier, and then there was the third tier, and then there was the fourth tier, and the top tiers were typically what we called like the T10s, Yale, Harvard, Virginia, you know, the Ivy Leagues, and then the second right. tiers were were good schools, solid schools. Um, and then the third and fourth tier we all just referred to as shit-tier law schools. Um, I went to a shit-tier law school. <laughs> just just to be clear, I didn't go to fucking Harvard. That was my dad. Um, I, I was shit-tier all the way. But it's been a big deal. They actually, they revamped like the tier system at one point because they thought it was uh, too inadequate, too... too strange or, or too uh, preferential towards things. So they did like a top 100 was ranked and then everything else was unranked law schools. Now they're uh, having a small rebellion. Yale Law School, which was the number one ranked law school since the inception of the rank- rankings announced on November 16th, they would no longer participate. Since then, Harvard, uh, UC Berkeley, Stanford, Georgetown, and Columbia Law School have also announced they will no longer be participating in the U.S. News and World Report rankings. Every school I just listed is a top 14 school. So it's Yale, Harvard, Berkeley, Stanford, Georgetown, and Columbia. That's like half of the top 14 schools have said, "Eh, we're not going to participate anymore. We're this gonna... is what happens when you let Kanye West make his own school. This is this is exactly what's happening here. You can't do this. Uh, the U.S. News and World Report has said we plan to keep doing the rankings. Uh, they've reached out to other law schools. Uh, and I love it. It says here some law schools, especially those just below the top 14, told the New York Times they are hesitant to abandon the process. Um <laughs> I wonder, I wonder when the top six schools are leaving, why do you think the ones that are like the top 15 school, number 15 is sitting there like top 14, motherfucker. By pro- you know what? I was 15. Now, now I'm like nine. <laughs> Dude, I used to teach out of a basement. Now I'm one of the top two percenters. I milk percentages of schools. This is the best percentage. Uh, The George Mason University Antonin Scalia Law School. I'm sure that's a wonderful place to attend school. Uh, Absolutely. They teach on uh, uh, stone tablets and uh, women aren't allowed to read. That sounds like their school. Uh, yeah, you know, I should be careful because I know there's a lot of lawyers that listen to this and one of them's going to be like, fucking boozy slagged off on George Mason Law School. <laughs> Fuck you, man. Fuck you. That's where I got my degree. Once again, I remind you, shit tier law school. Went to a shit tier law school. 
do not care. If you were ranked higher than Cooley, go fuck yourself. Um, only lawyers. It's like the idea that you think there's a bunch of lawyers out there like, did you hear a badger took a defecation on my law school? A rump, a rump, I say. <laughs> I, will, I will remind you, sir, that of the two of us in the room, one of us has the experience of dealing with other attorneys, and it's not you. You have experience dealing with attorneys, not other attorneys. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough, ass. Um, our second story tonight a uh, federal judge, and this is this is fun because it's directly related to the one we just uh, one we just read. A federal judge has overturned a decision that erased a law grad student debt, saying the issues should be decided at trial. Uh, a U.S. district judge in the Southern District of New Jersey said a bankruptcy judge should not have granted summary judgment to Kevin Jared Rosenberg who in bankruptcy had sought, had sought the uh, discharge of his student loan debts. Uh, a constellation of evidence that indicated the debtor placed himself in the predicament after abandoning his legal career was cited in support of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, now if I remember correctly, aren't student debts somehow they have that in the books that you cannot erase uh, that with bankruptcy? It, there, there's a way to do it. It's not an okay. easy way to do it. Um, okay. It, it's something called the Brunner test. And it, it is like you have to have shown you made an honest effort to repay your loans uh, and that you are suffering from a substantial hardship to the extent that you will never be able to make any real payment on your loans. Uh, the way I used to describe it when I was pri in private practice to people was when they'd say, oh, but I read you could file something to try to get my student loans discharged. I'm like, yeah, I can. And like, do you think I'd pass it? And I'm like, well, you have both your arms, both your legs. You can see, hear, and talk. So uh, no, because you can be employed. And even if none of those things were true, there's a risk the judge may think you could make a good doormat and get paid for it. So... Holy shit. Like, it's it's not that... Uh, Halpern, the judge on this, actually did not say, hey, uh, the loans can't be discharged. What he said was uh, there should be a trial. What we call an, ad an adversary proceeding to determine non-dischargeability. Uh, to determine whether or not a sufficient undue hardship existed. Uh, this is in relation to... Oh, hold on, hold on. So you're saying that the judge could have just said one way or another, but instead he's like, now nah, let's go get 12 people to decide this. Yeah. That's what he did? Yeah, what he's saying is that this should be decided at trial. You, you should have a trial. I want to be a judge. I just want to pay. I've had to, like, I don't think I want to pay this bill. I'm going to ask 12 people if I should pay it. I'll worry about this next week. I want to uh, kick things over to a group of my peers. Now, I, I want to point out that Halpern's decision was based on, I love that, by the way, a constellation of evidence that the debtor placed yeah. himself in this predicament. Uh, I, first of all, the judges have sometimes a constellation of evidence. What's that? The little fuck you. Uh, <laughs> Does that mean a small amount or a large amount? Because that's not a measurement. Like, that's like, not even a fake measurement. That's not one that we used. He picked a word. There's the big dipper. There's the little dipper. There's Ursa Minor. There's Ursa Major. And there's the insolvency star. Um, I mean, oh. 
Uh, when the North Star goes south, you owe your debt. This this is actually a follow up to uh, something that kind of rocked the bankruptcy world back in 2020, when the uh, bankruptcy judge who was hearing Rosenberg's case had determined that uh, Rosenberg had satisfied kind of the Brunner test, that that really hard test for the undue hardship discharge. And at that time, uh, everybody was like, oh, shit, in the Second Circuit, which is where New York is, uh, student loans just became easier to discharge. So this judge is like, put the fucking brakes on it. Um, Rosenberg had actually served in the Navy for five years after he graduated from law school. Uh, He then, after passing the bar... uh, had worked for three months as an associate attorney at a New Jersey law firm, making between $55,000 and $60,000 a year. Uh, Rosenberg said that he was miserable in the job and he was looking for other legal employment when his partner at the firm discovered he intended to leave and fired him. He did some contract work on a sporadic basis, but his law license was placed in a retired status after uh, legal contract work dried up in 2008. What happened in 2008 that may have caused legal contract work to dry up? Oh, my God. Oh, shit. So, I mean, he actually tried this. He just couldn't. He, he didn't yeah. like where he was working. And Okay. Like, like he, I mean, he, got, he had his degree. He passed the bar is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, he passed the bar. He went to go work for a firm. He was miserable, and it sounds to me like he was being somewhat underpaid at the firm. He started to look for other work. His boss found out he was looking for other work, fired him. Uh, Holy shit. He couldn't find another job, so he was taking contract legal work, like going in on on doc review and shit like that. Oh my God. And then when the 2008 financial crisis hit financial, sorry, sorry. Thank you. God. All Holy that shit, up. dude. Yeah. Uh, in support of his motion, Rosenberg submitted a vocational evaluation for the sake of work as a legal assistant or a paralegal for $42,000 to $120,000 a year, as a retail store manager for $45,000 to $200,000 a year, on other customer service or sale roles at a salary of $36,000 to $50,000 a year. He also had injuries and underwent surgery that may or may not have impacted his ability to work. Uh, they said that he submitted no I- no evidence regarding the extent of his injuries, uh, and that at that time he was earning about $1,500 a month uh, below what he needed to meet his $4,000 per month expenses, which included $2,150 per month of rent for a studio apartment. god oh god all right all right look look where are you renting a studio oh new york what is this still in new york yeah yeah oh dear god i live in chicago the mortgage on my house is such a small percentage of what he is playing. I, I just can't stand it. I cannot stand here. I get it. It's a bustle of activity. That is wonderful. But if you're sitting there thinking, mm, I can't afford water, maybe, maybe don't. Maybe don't. If you if you want to hear more about Alkali's house, listen to our last episode, episode 22, 
uh, a tale of two caveats where Alkali described his house, which he bought out of foreclosure, as it had three walls. It was missing the fourth. Um, three walls was almost enough. I was close. And also, don't forget, my house has been appraised by Ron Jeremy. So, you know, we're all good here. <laughs> by the way, for people listening later who are familiar with us, uh, especially are familiar with me with Alkali, that's not a euphemism. The porn actor and convicted sex offender, Ron Jeremy. Yeah, I'm throwing that in, motherfucker. Uh, It's the only reason I'm allowed to make fun of him now. It's no longer punching down. He's an asshole. And convicted sex offender, Ron Jeremy, before he was the convicted sex offender, Ron Jeremy, ate cheese balls in Alkali's garage. Walked through the house to use the restroom while my mate showed him where it was. And asked about almost every item. And oh, how much did that cost? Wow, how much did this place cost you? That's a nice bed. What did that cost? Like, Zan, why did you see the door was open? He started talking about the bed. Like, run, run now. So, <laughs> Rosenberg actually did give a statement after this came out, and I'm just going to read it. This decision is a temporary setback in the fight against an unfair system that is used to always winning and was stung by my David v. Goliath victory. The district court decision didn't really decide anything and merely put us back to where we were in January 2020. The bankruptcy judge was clear in her decision then and applied the Brunner standard as it was meant to be applied. Though it may be a long road with many battles to fight, I'm confident in our ultimate victory. And I hope my case inspires others suffering under a heavy-handed, one-sided system to fight back and file their own adversary proceedings. I'd add that the judge actually introduced new arguments that were never put forth by ECMC, so he was essentially acting as both a judge and litigant at the same time. Based on his background and who he was appointed by, we expected this decision. And I feel as if the first, real first level of appellate review won't happen until the case reaches the Second Circuit. Appealing to the district court rather than a bankruptcy appeals panel was really just a PR move by ECMC, that's the, the student loan company, since they knew it would give them a temporary victory. Now, to explain that, the way bankruptcy works, all right? Bankruptcy judges are real judges, but they are not what we call Article Three judges. They're not like they're not the federal judges who get lifetime appointments. They're appointed for like ten years or so, and then they're reappointed, and they're appointed by the district court. So they are. Okay. So any decision from a bankruptcy judge can be appealed to the U.S. District Court overseeing that bankruptcy court. Okay, got and, it. And then the district court issues an opinion on that appeal, and then that can be appealed up to the circuit court, the federal circuit court, which will issue an opinion, which can then be appealed up to the U.S. Supreme Court if they accept the case, if they say, yes, we'll listen to this case. A bankruptcy appeals panel is kind of an intermediary. Uh, It is uh, more or less an appellate panel, like almost like a circuit court appellate panel that exists for the sole purpose of giving you the option to appeal to the appellate panel rather than to the district court. Not every district has a bankruptcy appellate panel. Now, if they do the appellate panel, can they still just bump it right up to the district court no, after that? No, typically, okay, it's t- one or the t- other. yeah, typically from the appellate panel, it goes to the circuit court. Okay. So yeah. Uh, Slippery Stallion actually did ask a good question that I will address right now. Like I said to people listening later, uh, 
this is recorded live, so we do have a chat. Some people will ask questions. Typically, I answer the questions at the end of the show. Uh, but Slippery Satin asks, has a bankruptcy ever been appealed to SCOTUS? Yes. Uh, it's rare, but it does happen. It is rare enough that that is why it's a big fucking deal for anybody who does bankruptcy work when a bankruptcy case is decided by SCOTUS. Like, you, you pour over that. You just go through it to see what's being said and what they have decided. Our last legal news story tonight. Uh, are you ready for this one? Absolutely. All right. Well, let me, let me open the tab I just fucking closed because I'm an idiot. That's okay. After hearing that one, I needed to grab a drink. Uh, keep, keep that drink on hand for the last one. <laughs> Just trust me. Um, so, got it. Before we, we get going on this story, I, I have to ask. Um, okay. Alkali, let's say you're married. And let's say that your marriage isn't going well. We're not going to get into why, you know, maybe you've had differences politically. Maybe you've had differences financially. Maybe you've decided to fuck your secretary. Um, maybe. maybe. And, and in the course of your marriage starting to fall apart, you all decide we want to give it one last shot. We're going to go to counseling. Okay. So you're in counseling. Okay. Uh, and, and your wife, looks at you in counseling and says, you should know I'm pregnant. We're going to have a child. Oh. How do you react? Well, seeing as I'm gay and they're trans, uh, uh, horrified and uh, kind of interested in medical science. So, uh, go America? Uh, Also, no. I'm not going to react too well to being told after a Marriage is not doing too well, and we're going to counseling to be told in counseling that there's a baby out in the way. Well, not uh, not going to be a great scenario. I mean, at this point, you're not living together right now. Like, it's a real separation. You're not living together. So maybe that's the only time, or maybe they were scared or anything like that. Uh, you know, maybe you'd be a little happy. Or maybe, like Mason Heron, 38, of an attorney... Uh, 38 of Houston, Texas, you would uh, go to your wife's house and tell her that she should drink more water uh, because she's pregnant, pour her a cup of water, and refuse to leave until she drinks it. Uh, And when she says, oh, the water's a little cloudy, and ask about it, you just say, oh, it must be a dirty cup or the pipes are bad, uh, and then take the cup and walk off. Come on. Uh, 30 minutes later, she uh, she became very ill with cramping and diarrhea, followed by bleeding, went to the emergency room. Uh, several more times after that, he would then bring her drinks that, uh, that she did not drink. On April 24th, she observed her husband on cameras installed outside of her home. He was cleaning out his truck and taking trash to the curb, which was unusual because he didn't do chores. Makes you wonder why the marriage was on the rocks. I wonder why. Uh, after he left, she looked in the garbage bags and she found a medication called Cyrox. Uh, oh, no. Which is a drug from a Mexican pharmacy. What do you think it does? 
It's a morning after pill, isn't it's it? It's an abortion drug. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the video oh two days later caught him emptying something from a Ziploc baggie into her drink. She oh then she then went over went to the police and turned over drinks she had been saving. Six of those drinks were sent to a lab. She had been saving the drinks he brought her. Like she after the first one she went, something's off. I'm just going to save these for a while. This was between March 17th and April 26th. For over a month, she was just hiding the drinks he brought her. Holy shit, good on her. Also horrifying. Um, so, Herring was licensed in 2011. Uh, he practices mainly in commercial disputes, personal injury cases, and oil and gas law. He is a graduate of the South Texas College of Law in Houston, uh, which, you know, is maybe it's one of those that was just below the T-14s. I don't know. Yeah, right there. Uh, <laughs> They're quitting now. Too much water. He is currently free on a $30,000 bond. His lawyer has stated that he look, very much looks forward to our day in court, and I'm thoroughly convinced we will prevail, which is lawyer speak for... I'm not going to give a statement. I'm going to give something that sounds like a statement. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to end with the news story on drinks before we go into our case tonight, because I know that you are a big drinker. I'm a huge drinker. I mean, I'm a little worried about unopened drinks right now. Yeah, I am. Oh, don't worry, just just drink the scotch I bring you, okay? Oh, thanks, no problem. I'm, I'm waiting for you to, like, hear some juniper. Like, hey, I know what that does. Like, Delicious. Me and you having a kid, that'd be the ugliest kid on the face of the earth. And the fattest fuck, kid. Dear God, you like, circle. Fuck you, like... <laughs> it's an emoji! We would make a smiley face emoji! And fucking for Halloween, put a smiley face shirt on him and roll him down the street. I've got a golden ticket. Where, where's Oompa, it? Oompa, where's his legs? They're somewhere in there. Just give him candy. Um. <laughs> we don't talk about his extremities. You see, there's this weird law when we want to get rid of his student loans. I need him to have no arms, no legs. He's got to go to law school. Just leave him alone. Just leave him there. You got it. <laughs> Let me ask, uh, you, uh, when you drink, and I know yeah. you do because I've drank with you many, 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 many times. Like, we, we have both been in the same hotel room, shit-faced, going, oh, we should not have drank that. Um, yes, very much so. But, hey, look, we didn't drink the bottle that the gentleman put on the table in front of us said, this is for you, sat in a chair, pissed himself, and then was physically removed from the We didn't drink that one. Yeah. See, we're yeah. geniuses. P people, people listening later who may not be familiar with us, uh, as you may be aware, I do a lot of comedy shows, a lot of comedy performances. I give talks and panels. Alkali is essentially my performing partner. Um, we we all it's gotten to the point where we have the same name we have different names for the same show and when people are like what's the name we're like i don't know do you want to be the one in front of the other one on this one do you do you want your name to come first or second this time 
I still love the first time we do this. Like, oh, I don't want it to be alkaline boozy. I don't want it to be boozy and alkaline. What do you think? You're just like monkey knife, knife fights. fights. What? <laughs> what is that? The best title ever. It's still to this day. Our talkie panel is still called Monkey Knife Fights, and I adore that. And what I adore is people contact me like, "What's Monkey Knife Fights?" And I'm like, "It's whatever you want it to be, baby." Um, yeah. it's, it's literally just the two of us on a stage in front of hundreds of people with alcohol, trying to make each other laugh and hoping we make them laugh at the same time. See, you go so much farther in it. I'm just trying to make you laugh. There's an audience there. I can't pay attention to them. I have low self-esteem. So when you're drinking, uh, if somebody talks to you about something serious, like you talk to them, right? Absolutely. Right. Uh, what if somebody was talking to you about, oh, I don't know, maybe buying your house. What, what if you're having drinks and somebody came in and they said, I want to buy your house? I do probably look at the level of drunk i was and if i was just starting i'd put my drink off to the side and talk to the gentleman and if i was not just starting i would give them my email and set up an appointment let, let me ask why would you give them your email and set up an appointment because if they want to buy my house that means they have money and even if they're not getting the house they're an investor in waiting yeah so you wouldn't do it because like maybe you'll make a bad decision I, I, I'm smart enough to know when I'm being dumb. That is the extent of my intelligence. I'm just smart enough to know I'm a fucking moron. That's exactly where I'm at. Well, well let, me, let me ask uh, very quickly, because I, I need to know where you stand on this before I, get, okay. before I get you drunk and offer for all three, you know, two of your three walls. I don't want all three of them. I just want two of them. Um, one to support the ceiling. It's, it's very, very complicated. Let, let, let's say it's me and you, and we've been tying one on all night, and I start laughing. I go, buddy, I'll give you $100,000 for your house. Just sign this piece of paper. What would you do? It's me and you. We're friends. We joke. We laugh. Okay, hold on. It's you and I, and I want to get rid of the house in this scenario? Uh, you, you, know, you don't really want to get rid of it, but you know, do you think I'm serious? I'm laughing. I already own a house. And do, do you think... Oh, yeah. Okay, you, so yo, no, you're being literal. Sorry. In no. my mind, this is all a setup to, ha ha, you signed paper. Okay. All right. It's you and I sitting there. You joked about buying my house for a hundred grand. Yeah, I'd laugh with you. I'd offer to buy your house for 50. Would you, let, let me... Would you, would, you, would you sign a piece of paper if I put it in front of you? Because it's you? No! And you know why? Not because I'm smart enough not to sign the paper, because I know that if I sign a piece of paper in front of you, a blank piece of paper, you will look at me and say, you are an idiot. Names what, don't go to paper. What, what if I told you that there is something called mental assent, mutual assent, that, that a, a, the principles of a contract are an offer made, an acceptance of that offer, consideration paid, and mutual assent to the offer. Everybody is uh, agreeing to it. There is, we call it the meeting of the minds. It's obvious that there's an agreement. Would that change it? Are you saying that since we're both drunk, it counts? Since we're both stupid in that moment, it's okay? Well, would we both have to be drunk? For you, for, for you, I will take your piece of paper and I will definitely sign it, Daffy Duck. Dude. Right on front. You know, that may actually work. Well, you're smarter than Mr. Zemmer of 1950s Virginia. 
Okay. Okay. A friend? A fr- oh, God. The case is Lucy V. Zemmer. It is from the Supreme Court of Virginia, a 1954 decision. So anyways, Lucy V. Zammer, Supreme Court, Virginia, 1954. So it is December 20th, 1952. All right. Uh, A.H. Zammer is out drinking. He and his wife are out drinking. They're, uh, they're having a good time. It's five days before Christmas, right? Okay. So, so they're out. They're drinking. They're having a good time. There's a lot of people there. A lot of people. They're, they're at a restaurant. Everybody in town has gathered together. They are celebrating the holidays. Uh, W.O. Lucy shows up. Now, Lucy is a lumberman and a farmer who had known Zemmer for 15 to 20 years and had been familiar with the farm that he owned for 10 years. About seven or eight years ago, prior to that, he, he had told Zemmer, you know, I'll, um, I'll buy your farm for $20,000. And Zemmer said, okay, but it was a verbal agreement. And Zimmer was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I, okay. Uh, All right. So he agreed and he, he backed out on it, but it was a verbal, so there's nothing they, yeah. they can do. Yeah. So they, okay. there's something out there. It's called the statute of frauds. And the statute of frauds is uh, certain contracts have to be in writing. And one of those contracts is a contract for an interest in land. So like, if, if you're like, yeah, I'll sell you my house and I don't do anything, uh, very generally, and then like a year later, I come back and say, hey, we had an agreement. You can say, it wasn't in writing. Go fuck yourself. Um, all right? So that's what happens. Lucy, though, took it in stride. Uh, he is. Uh, he he takes an employee on December 20th to McKinney, which is where Zimmer lives and has his restaurant. That The restaurant there is Zimmer's restaurant. Uh, operates a filling station and has a motor court, which is just a 1950 ways of saying a motel. All okay. right. And that's what it, it's a motel. So the guy owns a motel restaurant and gas station out there. And he loves his mother and he only murders people who aren't virgin. <laughs> I know the story. I know where this goes. So, so Lucy and Zimmer are sitting there talking and Lucy says, uh, Hey, have you sold that farm yet? And uh, Zimmer said, no, of course not. And Lucy said, and I quote, I bet you wouldn't take $50,000 for that place. And Zimmer replied, yes, I would too. You wouldn't give me 50. All right. So Lucy says, you write up an agreement uh, to that effect and I'll give you $50. So he takes the the restaurant check and writes on the back of it. I do hereby agree to sell to W.O. Lucy the Ferguson farm for $50,000 complete. Lucy looks at it and says, well, you say I, but your wife has to agree to this as well, so you need to say we. All right? Zimmer tears up that check, writes another check that instead of I says we, and goes 12, 10 to 12 feet away to his wife and says, oh, sign it. She said she would for $50,000. Zimmer brings it back, gives it to Lucy, who offers him $5 to seal the deal. And Zemmer says, you don't need to give me any money. You got the agreement there signed by both of us. All right. This was a 30 to 40 minute conversation. That is Lucy's story. All right. Zemmer's story, slightly different. All right. Okay. Uh, Zemmer says that he was there. 
on the state in his restaurant that day and that everybody in town on a Saturday night before Christmas had come by quote saying on this Saturday night before Christmas it looked like everybody and his brother came by there to have a drink I took a good many drinks during the afternoon and I had a pint of my own when I came in the restaurant around 8 30 Lucy was there and he could see that he was pretty high he said to Lucy Boy, you got some good liquor drinking, ain't you? Lucy offered him a drink, and Zimmer testified, I was already high as a Georgia pine and didn't have any more better sense than to pour another great big slug out and gulp it down, and he took one too. Zimmer admits that Lucy said, I bet you wouldn't take $50,000 for the farm. Zimmer then says, he said, you haven't got 50000 in cash. Lucy says he did. Zimmer replied he did not believe it. They argued for a little bit about whether or not Lucy actually had $50,000. Finally, Zimmer uh, says that Lucy said, you sign that piece of paper right there and say you'll take $50,000 for the farm if you don't believe me. Zimmer grabbed the back off of a guest check and wrote the deal on the back of it. Zimmer asked to see what had been written to see if I recognized my own handwriting. <laughs> he then... What? Yeah. Just the iffy... <laughs> Zimmer then said, I shit you not, this is from his testimony. Great balls of fire! I got Ferguson for Ferguson. I have got satisfactory spelled wrong. I don't recognize that right, and if I'd see it, wouldn't know it was mine. What the fuck? <laughs> he said that on the stand. Let me see the check. I want to, I want to see if I recognize my own handwriting. Looked at it and then went, great balls of fire on the stand. <laughs> this is in a court docket somewhere. That's amazing. Oh, that's incredible. Great balls of fire. You know what? That's my new go-to anytime I have to take the stand. Great balls of fire. Murder. So Zimmer, when he goes over to his wife, his wife basically says, I don't want to sign this. <laughs> like, like he, he admits, oh yeah, no, we wrote it out. Oh yeah, we signed it. I was high as a Georgia pine, though. Great balls of fire. I spelled shit wrong. <laughs> he takes it to his wife. His wife looks it over and, and basically says, you know, no, no, what are you, you know, W-O or, or A-H, what are you doing? Because, you know, it's a Southern guy. So, so like, A-H isn't like, it's probably what people call him. A-H, what the fuck you doing selling the farm to that guy? You and W-O need to stop drinking. Um do we have any idea at this point what this farm would be worth? Uh, no, not not yet. Not yet. Okay, okay. Z- Zemmer's, Zemmer says he bought it for $11,000, like, in the 40s. Okay. Uh, and, and that he had, over the years, had 25 offers to buy it, including several from Lucy who had never offered any specific sum of money. Every time in the past, he had told them, I'm not interested in selling. All right. So his wife... says no i'm not signing that what the what the fuck's wrong with you no (laughs) so he's the smartest person in the story so far understood maybe because then zimmer's like it's okay 
<laughs> I'm just needling him and didn't mean a thing in the world. I'm not selling the farm. Zimmer then took it back over and she's like, okay, and signs it. He's looking at it. He had a drink in his no hand. No longer the smartest person in the story. <laughs> Reaches over to get the drink, at which point Lucy rips the contract out of his hand, drops $5 on the table and says, here is $5 payment on it. Zemmer responded. This is from his testimony. Hell no, that is beer and liquor talking. I'm not going to sell you the farm. I have told you that too many times before. So now his wife gets on the stand. Can you imagine how pissed this guy's wife is? No, no, I cannot. <laughs> can you? Can you just like she's like? Well, he was sitting in the restaurant. We was getting drunk. Everybody's coming by. We were doing good business, and then you had to go and sign this fucking piece of paper. And now we're all in court. <laughs> all right. Oh my god. His wife gets on the stand, right? Uh, so she goes to help a waitress. Lucy and Zimmer were talking. She didn't pay a lot of attention to it. She heard him talk about the farm. Basically, like, agrees with everything her husband said. Lucy says, all right, get your wife to sign it. She come, He comes over and says, uh, you want to put your name on this? And she looks at him and says, no. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, oh, then, then he says to her, oh, it's all right, honey. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's like, it is nothing but They're a joke. Signatures work. So, so they sign it. They give it to him the next night. All right. The, the next night they're at a Christmas party. Okay. And at the Christmas party, uh, Zemmer, or Lucy is there and Lucy is talking about buying the farm. All right. And oh God. Mrs. Zimmer apparently looks at him and, and says, well, with the high price whiskey you were drinking last night, you should have paid more. $50,000 was cheap. Oh, Oh God. At which point her husband comes back and says that he didn't want to stick him or hold him to the agreement because Lucy was too drunk and didn't know what he was doing. To which, what did Lucy say? What do you think Lucy, who had offered to buy the farm several times before, said in response? I've got a contract. And he said, he said no, I wasn't drunk. <laughs> I was drunk. I wasn't drunk. I was I was drunk. I, I was not too tight, and that he had, that he'd been stuck before. The fifty thousand was a good price. <laughs> Zemmer agrees fifty thousand would be a good price uh, on the stand. Uh, it's, it's I just I just like I when when Zemmer was like you know what you know what buddy you, you know what you know last night when we was drinking and you offered to buy my farm and I thought it'd be a really funny joke because we was drinking to sign that paper you know I'm not gonna hold you to that you you was drunk and you you're gonna get stuck at fifty thousand I'm not gonna hold you to that at least like yeah, I wasn't I wasn't drunk <laughs> I knew what I was doing <laughs> oh my god. Holy shit. He knew, he knew what he was doing so much that that day he went out and got a lawyer and a title examiner to look at the title on the farm. 
And then on December, on uh, January 2nd, Lucy sent him a letter that said, title's fine. I'm ready to pay. When do you want to close? Zimmer replied on January 13th saying he never agreed or intended to sell. Basically saying, uh, I, I was just joking. Oh, God. Oh, I, God. I, I, I was just joking. I, I was drunk. What about the piece of paper? What about the yeah. piece of paper you made your wife sign? Mm, the game is afoot. So. <laughs> So, like, I've done some pretty stupid things in my life, but I can't get to the point where it's like, and what's the dumbest thing you ever done? Oh, I was driving too fast once. There was a dip in the road. My knee came up. I almost dropped the transmission in my car. That's crazy. I accidentally sold my house. Yeah, I I sold my farm. To, to a Don't guy. you need like multiple signatures for that? Yeah, I forced my wife to yeah. sign. I told my I wife. Accident. I told I my wife I was kidding. I told my wife I was kidding. She said, "Oh, sweetie pie, you're such a jester." <laughs> I asked. I accidentally double negative forged a document. Like, is that what this is? Like, oh, it was accidentally real. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so, so Lucy sues. All right, and do you think Lucy wants money? He wants the farm. He wants the farm, motherfucker. Yeah, there's something going on with that farm. He really likes that farm. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that because I've got to tell you how this pans out, and then I've got to tell you why it became a controversial case after the fact. Um, Lucy wants the fucking farm. There is something at law called specific performance. It is what we call an equitable remedy for a contract. Right? Typically, damages the remedy for somebody breaking a contract is money. You get money. All right. When somebody breaks a contract, you get money. But there are some situations where they say, you know, um, rather than money, we're going to make you fulfill the contract. That is called specific performance. It is asking the court to say, no, you, you, you don't get to just pay me and I go away. I bought your farm. I want your farm. Yeah, now, who right. decided that? Lucy said, "I want to go for specific performance." Yeah, or the court said it. Lucy, Lucy, Lucy it. asked for it. The court. Okay, so Lucy is suing to fulfill the contract, not for money. Okay, right. this makes sense. He, I got you. He, I got want, you. he wants the land. So he, agree, that's exactly what I'm thinking. The farm has oil. That that somehow this guy knows there's a natural resource on this farm. That's my guess too. So they go. It goes into the trial court. The trial court says. Uh, we're not sure there was really a contract. Even if there was, we don't think this is appropriate for specific performance. We think money damages could uh, could fulfill the expectation, so we're going to kick it. It gets appealed. It goes to the Virginia Supreme Court. The Zemmer's defense is as follows. Best described as an agreement, or, uh, it, there was no mutual assent. I didn't really agree to sell my farm. I was drunk and I was joking. When I signed that contract, I I didn't agree to go through with it. I I hadn't actually reached an agreement. I hadn't made what we call an expression of mutual assent on the contract. Right? He was too drunk to to make a decision like that is his, is his defense. Well, that, that, no, not sort of, but no, um, that the, cause you got to look at it. Yeah. Like if you're blackout drunk, the court's not going right. to hold you to a contract if you raise the defense of, you know, I, I was too drunk a lot of times. they will. There is a point where they'll say you can't 
have mutual assent the person had no fucking clue what was happening. Right. All right. But generally, if you know what's going on, if you know what you're doing, even though you're drunk, a court will like hold you to that a lot of times. They're like, yeah, you weren't so far gone, you didn't know what you were fucking doing, man. What it really was, was it should have been clear. It should have been clear from the circumstances that I wasn't going to sell my farm. I told him no so many times in the past. Uh, There was all this talking. I I didn't have mutual assent on it, all right? Uh, How do you think the court came back? Yeah, he's like, Zemmer's like, I even told my wife when when I got her to sign it. Oh, don't worry. I'm joking. I'm not really going to go through with it. I'm joking. Okay, so now this is the Supreme Court of the state? Yeah. I'm going to guess that if they're saying, because if we're talking about this, that they had to say, if you were sober enough to joke with your wife to get her to sign, if you could convince her, then you convinced yourself and it's real. Well, well, but but he did he think it was real though? Because like he's showing this to his wife, and he's like, "I'm joking, I'm joking." Like if he, he didn't think that's, it was real, why would he sign it? That's true. Why, why would oh he, my god, I, I can't. Like I, I got to assume they 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 found in favor of the other guy. So they, they did. They they did. I, like I'll spoil to... I'll spoiler alert you right now. Lucy got yeah. the farm. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming because we wouldn't be talking about this if not. So what would a, a a Supreme Court have come back with other than, no, you showed us that you weren't drunk enough. I mean, did they just call him out on being an asshole? You don't joke around with your signature? The joke stops when you sign something? Kind of, kind of. Here, here is, this is a direct quote. The mental assent of the parties is not requisite for the formation of a contract. If the words or other acts of one of the parties have but one reasonable meaning, his undisclosed intention is immaterial, except when an unreasonable meaning which he attaches to his manifestations is known to the other party. What the fuck? To break that down, the court is saying, if everything else about it, to a reasonable person looking at looking at it, would look like you actually intended to enter into a contract. A reasonable person, a reasonable objective person. You're sitting there, you're talking about price, um, you know, you're writing it out, you're having your wife sign it, uh, you're handing it back, you're doing everything that, that a reasonable person would be like, okay, in these circumstances, there was an offer made, there is apparent right. acceptance of the offer. What you actually intend, whether you actually intend to be bound or not, doesn't matter. The assent is from the words and acts. If the words and acts judged by a reasonable standard manifest an intention to agree, it is immaterial but the, what the real but unexpressed state of mind may be. That is a fancy way of saying no take backs. If it, oh, lo- it doesn't matter whether you were joking. It doesn't matter whether you thought it was obvious you were joking. Oh, God. What matters is a reasonable person looking at that situation would not think you were joking unless you had made it clear you were joking. So him, and he didn't tell, no, he did tell him he was joking. He told his wife he was joking, but that's not enough. Because, I mean, he's, like you said, he signed the paper and got her to, holy shit. That man's a moron. 
Yeah, defendants further contend that even though a contract made, the, the court should decline to enforce it under the circumstances. Uh, the court came back and said, no, you were drinking. <laughs> like, like you, No, we, we agree with you, Mr. Zammer. You were likely high as a, quote, Georgia Pine. However, you were not so drunk, you had no idea what you were doing. Lucy did not trick you into signing this. He did not make any misrepresentation. He did not have any sharp practice, which is like trying to fool people into doing that, like a con. And and he wasn't in a superior position to you. He wasn't in some position of authority where he could kind of force you to do it. The farm had been bought. What about, really quick, just because he said this, what about the defense of, oh, he said he was sober, I was drunk. That puts him in a superior position. He, he didn't say he was sober. He's like, I wasn't that drunk. Okay. Uh, yeah. Understood. Understood. Yeah. Uh, so, so <laughs> like, like, he didn't say, you know, no, I haven't any. He had fucking whiskey. He was obviously drinking with the guy. But he's like, yeah, I wasn't okay. that drunk. I wasn't that drunk. I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and really quick, in your opinion, what if that was his ploy? What if he was oh, it was cold sober that night? It, 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 you think it's different? I, maybe and like if he was faking taking the drinks like yeah are you are you like you know doing a greatest showman in that song and the greatest showman where they're like drinking all these drinks but if you watch hugh jackman he's throwing the drinks over his shoulder and not actually drinking them to get the guy to to keep drinking so he'll agree to shit exactly that that that's where i'm going like uh, or literally the other way around just didn't drink he was sober uh, 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 other guys drunk as uh, yeah. Georgia Peach, high as a Georgia Pine, man. Georgia Pine. My apologies. I'm so used to the Georgia Peach. You know, There's so much in Georgia: pines, peaches, mosquitoes. I got gotcha. you. So, I mean, like maybe, but the the point of it really is is if you know what you're doing, you're being bound. Like, like if you're aware, this could be a real contract. You're being bound audit like he he wasn't so drunk he didn't know what was happening he just didn't think it was serious wow that is so messed up okay so now his and hold on and his wife was there too to be there live for this verdict for, correct? for this verdict yes like <laughs> Please tell me the court stenographer had to record a slap uh, because that's all I can imagine. You dumb son of a bitch. Um, so. Oh, I'm as cut down as a Georgia pine. Oh, no. So why is this taught in law school? It's taught in law school. For, first, for the basic contract principles, offer, acceptance, assent, consideration. Those are okay. like the really basic concept principles. Uh, of a contract here uh the second reason it's taught is for that statement i said earlier mutual assent which is that meeting of the minds thing is determined not by what people actually intend but what their expressions their words and their acts in the situation would reasonably lead another person to intend uh, to believe they intend do they intend to be bound or not so your secret, like your mental, you know, oh, he'll never go through with it. And then he's got the fucking money sitting right there. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that you thought he'd never go through with it. Doesn't matter if if maybe your thinking was impacted by drinking a little. You knew what was going on. Uh, okay. As to specific performance, the court came back and said, uh, this is not so unfair that we think 
specific performance uh, shouldn't be allowed. The the farm had been bought for eleven thousand, was assessed for taxes at sixty three hundred dollars. The purchase price was fifty thousand dollars. Zemmer on the stand had said fifty thousand dollars would have probably been a good price. Uh, so so it wasn't so unfair that the court refused to enforce specific performance. Uh, the court ordered the Zemmers to sell the farm to W. O. Lucy for fifty thousand dollars. Oh God, here it is. Here it is. All right. All right, so she beat the shit out of them. They get $50,000. They move into, like we said at the beginning, a uh, $2,800 flat in New York because that's what you do nowadays, apparently. All right, what happened to the farm? Where did the- Oh, and really quick, Seamus had a question. I want to know if I'm right on this one. Seamus asked, if I sign a contract with my offhand, the signature is unrecognizable, can it be enforced? Isn't the answer to that yes? Yeah. Because handwriting analysis is garbage? Yeah, I mean, A, yeah. handwriting analysis is, is garbage. B, are you going to take the stand and say, I didn't sign it? What if you do? Uh, well, that's perjury. It's generally frowned upon. The court's got to make what's called a credibility determination. Likely there's going to be a witness somewhere. There's got to be something else indicating that this occurred. Uh, but the court will make a credibility determination. They're not going to just do it based on handwriting alone. Yeah. Okay. All right, so guy on the stand said, I didn't sign that, even though he signed it with his left hand. The handwriting looks yeah. weird. They're not even going like, to look at like, the handwriting. You know, you They're going to find him. Yeah, you know what I would do? I would ask my guy, because at some point in the process, before it gets to that, somebody's going to raise what we call the defense of fraud, saying, no, that's not my signature. Um, and... I would have my guy. What hand did he sign it with? Holy shit. Yeah, that, that, that'd be one of the questions. I'd know they're going to raise that defense in advance. That'd be the question. What hand did he sign it with? His left hand. Is he left-handed? No. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Okay. All right. So we have, uh, they lost the farm. They got 50 grand. Other guys got it. Why? Why? What did he know? Because you said at the beginning, he knew about the farm. He'd known about it for seven to ten years. There's something about to happen. Well, let me let me ask, do you think Lucy really wanted the farm because he just wanted himself a nice piece of bottom land to raise fucking Virginia tobacco on? I am a person who truly believes in the kindness of others, but I also know you never come between a man and his dollar, and that man saw a dollar. What did he see in that farm that made him be such a shitbag? Tell me there's a bunch of Georgia pines there. It's like, oh, they're so high, I had to cut them down. We'll make a fortune on them. It may very well be because W.O. Lucy was a well-known middleman for the pulp and paper companies in virginia with with a significant history of buying properties that he knew were rich in natural resources and then turning around and selling them for extremely high profits to oil coal and paper companies he just bought it for the trees he bought it for the trees do we know do we know his profit margin? Do we know? We have no idea. Damn it! Oh, it's we not have... a matter of 
Celtic record when he sells no. it for if he sells it to a company? Uh, this was in the 50s. Do you think I went that far in depth where I went down to Dinwiddie County, Virginia and pulled the fucking sales contracts from the 1950s? I did so much time on editing these things. Yes, I do think you did. <laughs> well, don't you have a paralegal? <laughs> So, so, no. Yeah, no, this is for work. Get your ass down there. Yeah, yeah I need you to go to Virginia. Why? I've got a podcast. Um, I've got a podcast. <laughs> Holy shit, I just realized something. In this instance, am I your paralegal? Do I need to get in the van? Are we going to talk about this next week? I went to Virginia. I got as high as a Georgia pine, and I found out $60,000. He made ten grand. Crime doesn't pay. I, I shit you not. If you ever give me the amount of money W.O. Lucy sold that fucking farm for, the Ferguson farm in Dinwiddie County, Virginia, I will buy you a goddamn drink. I, I will, I will you get you you're going to make me sign shit. You're right, yeah. Like, oh, my God. We always talk about, for people listening, uh, alcohol and I are, we're, we're the type of friends that we have a bottle night when we get together. We, we live, like, he lives in Chicago. I live in Philly. Uh, but we're the type of friends that when we get together, one of us breaks out a bottle of scotch, and then we just sit and drink an entire bottle of scotch together. So... I promise everyone the next time we are drinking an entire bottle of scotch together, I'm going to have a contract for the purchase of two walls of his home in my back pocket. And I'm going to see if I can get him to fucking sign it. You know, the worst part is I'm sober right now and therefore almost intelligent. When you get me into a bottle night, you got a good chance. I give a 50, 50, to be honest with you, even with foreknowledge, 50, 50. So that you know, people in your chat saying, "Hey, I'm in Virginia. We could get this information." <laughs> Go ahead, email it to me, boozy at lawyersandliquor.com. Let me know how much did uh did W.O. Lucy get for that fucking farm? Um, uh, uh, so that is Lucy V. Zimmer, what we call a casebook case from law school regarding the expression of mutual assent and contracts. With that said, let me flip over real quick to my Discord and see if anybody had any questions from our Patreon supporters uh, for Boozy's Legal Funhouse this week. <clears throat> no. <laughs> No, no, no. That's okay. I just put out my rank this for the show. I had one response, and then thank God Sue and Benny messaged me with like seven responses from each of them. I'm like, you guys are amazing. Thanks for saving the show. <laughs> uh, so I will turn to the chat for the next few minutes. If anybody has a question regarding the case or the contract principles that we discussed tonight, please, for the love of God, ask them. I'll give you a alkalize answer. To the question, and then I'll tell you how wrong he is. That's about <laughs> right. That's, that's, no, that's, that's, you know, the worst part is, I think I told you this. My first year of college, uh, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do right away. I did take a, a a law class and absolutely loved it. Not because of the law, but because the guy teaching it was a giant Simpsons fan. So on the tests, all the answers are in the world of the Simpsons. Mo Sislak has set fire to his bar. It's a nine eight to the. Oh, I love this shit. <laughs> 
sad thing is, is that's actually, uh, I'm not telling tells out of school here. That's how like law professors come up with their fucking exam questions. Just to let you know, like they okay. look, they look at something that's going on and they apply a fact pattern to it. Uh, Seamus, the Fox has asked, could the wife make the defense that she was signing under duress and therefore the contract would be invalid? Alkali, what do you think? My guess to that would be it's not in duress because she said no, they talked about it, and then she signed, and you just taught me a outsider's point of view. That's the one that matters. So I'm going to say no, it's not duress because everyone witnessed a conversation and a signature, right? Uh, sort of, yes. Uh, the other half of it is duress does not just mean... Um, you know, I, I didn't want to do it, and I, I, they convinced me to do it. Duress tends to mean that you actually, like, almost gun to the head. You were under some threat. There was oh, some okay. threat. So duress or, needs yeah, threat. Like, there was a threat or an extreme pressure on you that made you sign. You never would have done it uh, under absent the threat or absent the thing that's that's heavily pressuring you. Uh, in this case, you know, did it take a lot of pressure? No. Her husband was like, I'm just joking. And she's like, oh, okay, then. Okay, so then now that one's the one I'm going to ask. So, all right, he's just joking. She signed under the idea, and this is just what, you know, I don't know if this would work as a defense. She, would, she signed under the idea that this is a joke. She did not sign, in her knowledge, a contract she put her name to paper, which is the stupidest thing on the planet, and I totally agree. Can I work any... What, what do I work with with that, or do you just throw a- out that a- fact? Ab- absolutely nothing. I mean, the way that the court is deciding it is, is literally, what does it look like to an outsider? And would an outsider know that her husband was like, I'm just joking? No. Yeah, the, the, the objective person looking at it would be like, okay, they both signed it. They obviously yeah, didn't take okay. a deal. So... Wow. Yeah, and you also have to remember, her husband's not the one, like, trying to enforce the contract. Like, I'm not saying that maybe there couldn't be a claim between husband and wife if they weren't husband and wife because it seems kind of silly to, for the wife to sue the husband right then if they're not divorced. They may be after that one. I don't know. Well, uh, that one I would assume so. <laughs> like, like, if it was me and you owning property and you can always say, oh, no, it's just a joke and I signed it and I gave it back to you. It's going, oh, okay, it's a joke. Get back. Maybe I could like make a claim against you for negligent misrepresentation or something, but the court's not going to say, uh, well, because Alkali fucked with Boozy, you know, fucking Zanny doesn't get to buy the farm. Holy shit. Oh, but we're going to say Boozy can sue Alkali. For the value that he just lost. I sold the farm for 50. I gave you 25 as as was expected. You sue for more because the guy sold it for $100,000 and I'm a fucking moron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that could happen. Yeah. That that could happen. That that could certainly be a a conversation there. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. I wonder what other bonkers cases cited Lucy, however you pronounce, however you spell it. Uh, Probably a lot. To be honest, uh, very honestly, like I said, this is one of those cases they teach in law school. This is this is one of those like it, we call it casebook case. It's so well it, uh, serves as an example of a legal principle that we teach it in law schools. 
so how does it work in a situation of actual duress? Like they have a gun, but the outsider can't see the gun, so it looks like you sign of your own free will. That's where you so would that have. Would be the case. Yeah, that that would be that would be duress. That's where you're like, no, my signature's not valid. That guy had a gun on me. That that would turn into the case. Right. The case is, and you signed the contract. The case is, there was a guy with a gun that no one could see. That's right. that's my case. Right. I mean, like that. that Interesting. And you could raise that as a because it has to have both signatures to be valid. Like the transfer really does need both signatures to be valid. Uh, it, like there's another principle. It's called a unilateral mistake and a mutual mistake. And it's a mistake of fact, a mistake of material fact integral to the formation of the contract. A mutual mistake can invalidate a contract. Okay, both parties are mistaken about something. The, the case, uh, which I'll actually talk about in a future episode with you when I talk about the horse semen cases. Um, can I vote nay? Can no, I vote nay? No, no. Uh, but <sighs> like, if the seller thinks that a dairy cow is a breeding cow, and the buyer thinks it's a breeding cow, and they agree on a price for a breeding cow, and then right after the sale uh, and the payment, the cow goes to the vet, and the vet's like, this cow is not fertile. Uh, that would be a mutual mistake, the material fact. Okay. Uh, if the seller knows the cow's infertile and isn't advertising, they're like, I'll sell you this cow. And the buyer assumes that the cow could be used as a breeding cow. Never ask. Kind of going back to last episode. The buyer has done what we call a unilateral mistake. Unilateral mistakes will not invalidate a contract generally outside of specific circumstances. Because the guy didn't ask. Yeah. And that was his whole, but yeah, okay. I remember covering that last week. So this is the same as in, in property law. You, you yeah. need to add, if you're buying a breeding cow, you better make sure you're buying and, a and, cow that. Unless like for some reason I know that you're trying to buy a breeding cow. And I know that cow is not a breeding cow. Then a unilateral, okay. then a unilateral mistake may be okay, may invalidate the contract because I knew what you were trying to get, and I knew what you were getting from me wouldn't do it. It's a lie of omission. Right, right. Okay. Like that, 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 that's one. That's one of the exceptions to unilateral mistake is you know if you have knowledge of their mistake uh, and you don't correct it. Uh, okay. So. Was she mistaken? Yeah, she had a mistake. She thought that it was a joke. But that's a mistake of fact. Oh. Or a mistake, really kind of a mistake of law on how to be enforced, too. Unilateral mistakes will not invalidate contracts. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. <laughs> and I'm never signing my name again. With that said... <laughs> With that said and done, thank God. My name is Dan Smith. That way, no, no, that was some other Dan Smith. Really? Who? Raise your hand if your name's Dan Smith. Yo, <laughs> did it. We're good. They all signed. <laughs> I can just see the line now. Like, uh, okay, everybody, line up and sign your name. We're gonna find the Dan Smith whose signature is closest. <laughs> Yeah, that's not going to be that hard. My signature kind of looks like I vomited on the page and then it morphed into a straight line. I don't really got much in that. <laughs> and Nikki just said, so what if you write up a contract that it has to be a breeding cow and you don't get a breeding cow? That's a breach of contract then. 
Oh my God, zeros. Oh yeah, no, that would be an outright lie because yeah. it's in the contract. It's written. Well, I mean, like maybe it's not a lie. Maybe the contract says the cow must must be a breeding cow. You know, must must be certified. Otherwise, the contract is null and void or something like that. Well, and, okay. and they give that you a cow that, that could be a breach claim. Uh, okay. Well, and with that, that is Lucy V. Zemmer from the Supreme Court of Virginia, 1954. That will do it for this week's episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Remember, if you want to support us here on the Funhouse, you can do that over at patreon.com slash lawyersandliquor. I will let you know that the live streams we record only remain on Twitch for about 48 hours, and then they go up only available to Patreon subscribers in our archive as well as the podcast release schedule. Episodes release a week early on the Patreon for Patreon subscribers. So please go over, take a look at that. You're never obligated to. It's just a nice way to show your appreciation. Uh, Alkali, would you like to tell the people where they can find you when you're not here? Uh, you can find me on twitch.tv, Alkali and Zanny. That's A-L-K-A-L-I and X-A-N-N-I. Uh, we perform on Twitch every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Uh, if you have a moment, head over there and hit follow. And if you're on the stream right now, if you happen to be one of the people watching Boozy's Twitch, we're going to be going over to my stream in a little bit and premiering our first episode of Dungeons & Dragons One-Shot. That is a recording of Dungeons Dragons, this time hosted by Serathin, our DM Serathin. We're going to be playing some Shadowrun. It's a three-episode series. First episode airs tonight in about 10 minutes. Iggy, thank you so much for that post over there. And with that said, until next time, I am your host, the Boozy Barrister, Boozy Badger. This has been my co-host and dedicated legal layman, Alkali Bismuth. Thank you for listening to Boozy's Legal Funhouse, and we will see you next time.